Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And welcome to the latest Man in the Post European podcast. I am your host, James Rowan. Tonight, once again, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Scott Munro. Scott, good evening. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. How, how is everything in Amsterdam? Everything is fine. Weather's a little bit cold. And, uh, yeah, doing all right. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually leaving Amsterdam this weekend to go to Arsenal-Chelsea. Uh, but I shall be back in the early hours of Sunday morning. So I will be able to enjoy a Sunday here in this city. So that should be good fun. Uh, we are uh, joined once again by many listeners, and thanks once again, listeners, for your retweets and your interest. Tonight, we are going to start uh, with a team from arguably arguably the um, the nicest city and the most picturesque city in the whole of Russia, and that is St. Petersburg and Zenith. They are top of the uh, Russian league after 17 games by one point from Krasnodar. And they've had a little bit of a wobble of late, losing three of their last six. But they play um, Fenerbahce in the last 16 of the Europa League. And um, I don't know if it's that long ago, Scott, that we last discussed the Russian team. But what are your opinions uh, as regards to sport, uh, St. Petersburg of late? I don't know if we've actually talked about a Russian team on this pod, but um, basically you've basically said what I have on my notes in front of me. Okay. It's, the, it's the Russian winter break and then yeah. Zenit are sitting top, yeah. uh, one point ahead of uh, Krasnodar. Yeah. Um, their next competitive game is against Fenerbahce in the, in the Europa League, which is what, middle of February. Yeah. And their next league game is against Ural in the... Um, in the Russian league which is not until the beginning of March and then they're going through their their Russian winter break at the moment Um, but um, the main story um, of Zenit at the moment is coming in this January transfer window is about Leandro Paredes yeah and the links Uh, to Chelsea is that right? yeah the links to Chelsea and it's a a £36 million uh, transfer fee uh, that's been reported around here in the UK. Yeah. Um, I've seen Paredes firsthand um, as being a Roma fan. He was at Roma a couple of years ago. Um, he was at um, Empoli as well um, for a, a loan spell. Just after Maurizio Sarri left for Napoli, um, he was under the guidership of Marco Giampaolo, who's now the Sampdoria manager, mm. a wonderfully gifted um, playmaker. Um, very easy on the eye with the ball. It does. It's not afraid to get stuck in a couple of times. He won. Uh, he started his career as a number ten, but went to Empoli on loan, and he, like Giampaolo, um, got him playing as like a uh, central defensive midfielder as like a ball playing midfielder. Um, I saw uh, him for Roma against Udinese in the summer of 2016. He was the best player on the pitch. Just controlled everything in the midfield. What Senate's loss could be Chelsea's gain, um, but 
as you stated earlier, Zenit at the top of the league. Um, they've gone through a bit of a, a wobbly um, stage just before the winter break. So, so they've lost to um, to Arsenal to the air four two, then lost two one to Ruben Kinsan, and then lost. Um, to, uh, to Slavia Praha 2-0 in the Europa League um, they've also beaten um, Rostov and FC Copenhagen as well so yeah, just going a bit hit and miss but probably the, the winter break is may do some good um, I know they've got some club friendlies coming up in the next couple of weeks but yeah the pressure's coming on in February and March when they've got um, some interesting uh, Europa League games against Fenerbahce and some uh, uh, and against the Rao in the, uh, in the Russian Premier League. Yeah, it'd be very interesting looking at their squad. They've got some very good players. You know, Ivanovic is as a, he's well known for his Premier League past with Chelsea. Corcoran in the Russian striker as well. Marquisio, who I believe had a spell at Juventus. And uh, very, very good spell at Juventus. They, they gave him a farewell... Not farewell. He, he came to the Juve Roma game in December. Mm. I think it was that or the Inter game. They gave him a farewell on that. And um, I, I've seen he scored a couple in Russia. Yeah, and another striker who I thought had a tremendous World Cup and um, I thought was quite underrated was Artem Zuba. Uh, yeah, big, big tall striker. Yeah, but also a tall striker that was great with his feet, feet and boy, could he finish. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember reading on the World Cup all the different opinions of different football fans and I think someone described him as a war, as a walking wardrobe in terms of how well built the man is. But I feel he looked a fantastic striker. And yeah. uh, I don't know if he's extremely happy in Zenith St. Petersburg, but I'm I'm surprised that a couple of people haven't come in for him. And, uh, you know, Zenith are also playing in the Europa League, and I think they will beat Fenerbahce over two legs. Uh, they could well uh, they could well pose a threat in the Europa League. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good mix. It's a club that's made enormous progression in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Uh, in the last ten to fifteen years, you know, to win, uh, to win the uh, UEFA Cup as well under Alfred Cart in two thousand and eight against it's Rangers, against Rangers, Manchester. and um, you know all the teams they they beat. I mean, it was as if following that season, everybody thought, no, where have they come from? No, they'll be out this round. Oh, they got through. Oh, they'll be out this round. Oh, they got through. And their stadium as well. I mean, I, I mean, never mind the loose Nicky. I thought their stadium in the World Cup looked like the best stadium of the World Cup. It looks, I mean, it looks tremendous. It's a very nice stadium. It's a lot better than what they used to play, which was, um, it was a very old, not old rustic, it was a very, um, uh, I would say, Eastern European stadium. Uh, Holds about 20,000. Yeah, the new one looks amazing. All the new stadiums in Russia for the World Cup look amazing. Yeah, but this one in particular, I just thought, well, I thought it was absolutely tremendous. And um, yeah, just really, really good to see Russian sides as well on the up. You know, I mean, when you look at when you look at the 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 um, when you look at this, the league, you know, you've got the likes of Saint Petersburg, uh, Spartak Moscow, Seska Moscow, Lokomotiv. Rostov, I remember watching them play against Ajax a couple of years ago when um, when that was in Champions League qualifiers. I think the league has definitely got something about it, and I think if you sit and watch it, I think you can see a couple of good games. But I think in yeah. the ca- in the case of Saint, I mean in the case of Saint Petersburg, 
Um, I can see them going on to win the uh, the Russian league, and I, I think they will pose many a threat in Europe. I'm not saying they'll get to the latter stages of the Europa League, but they mustn't be taken lightly at all. Of course, I know. I know we've talked about Fenerbahce before, and um, of Philip Koku's misfortunes over there, and I know he's got sacked, but um, I could see Zenit going past them. Yeah. No, I completely agree, and um, be very interesting to see what happens. We will have to double check if this is the first discussion we've had regarding a Russian team. As I know, as I'm aware, our listeners come from all over the world, as far as I'm aware, and we like to shine a light on basically everybody. We like to give everybody the time of day. So hopefully, this will be um, the first of many Russian clubs that we speak about going forward. And as I say, the only Russian team I've seen play live is 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 Rostov in the U- in the Champions League qualifiers against Ajax. I think it was two seasons ago now, and uh, they didn't look too bad. But obviously, you know, they've um, have uh, I think they've tailed off a little bit since then. But um, yeah, very interesting times in St Petersburg. I can uh, I saw Seska against Roma not so long. Yeah, Seska did pose some problems for Roma, but then uh, Roma got two two goals in the first half and then just put the game to bed. Yeah, so we shall keep an eye on the events in St Petersburg. Also, as well, uh, not that I work for the tourist board, but I also harbour ambitions of visiting that city one day. And um, I don't know if I'll take in a game of Zenith. If the opportunity is there, I most definitely will. But there's been uh, tre- I've read tremendous reports about the city as well, about it being a wonderful, beautiful city to visit. So uh, fingers crossed that will happen this year. But uh, there's a couple of um, couple of um, things here in Amsterdam that might play out as time goes on so uh, we shall see if I do make it to St Petersburg this year but hopefully in the future I will be able to make it uh, we are now going to move on to a club that I saw live not so long ago and that was against my club back in November and that is Sporting Club de Portugal they have a new manager in Marcel Kaiser who is well known for his work with particularly the youth players and did a tremendous job in the past here in the Netherlands in the likes of Cambu and his, his stint at Ajax which started off very very well but tailed off extremely quickly he's found himself in a position where he's now managing one of the biggest clubs in Portugal and it's a tremendous opportunity for him he ha- he, he suffered big time with the um, with the situation as regards to Abdul Haknuri when he with his suffer- suffering a cardiac arrest which basically set the tone for the entire season and um, yeah, I think it's very bold of Sporting Club de Portugal to offer him the job. Uh, they've had, um, they've managed to pick up a fair few points. I think they've won three of their last six and closing in on the on the top three positions in uh, the uh, Liga Sagres. Uh, they are currently uh, eight points behind Porto. I don't think anybody in uh, in Lisbon is thinking about a league title push, but um, it's nice to see him gaining positive results. And uh, yeah, be interesting to see what happens because I hope it's a, I hope it's a successful stint for him because Dutch coaches have not been in too much favour abroad in recent times in Ala Koku, for example. And hopefully, Marcel Kaiser will be able to stem the tide. He's got a Dutch counterpart in his squad in Bastos. He has, he has, and uh, he's uh, he's come an awful long way since his days at Emmen. Yeah. And uh, he's uh, he's definitely got something about him. He had a great he had a great stint at Wolfsburg as well. And uh, you know he's he's um, 
he I know he, his frustration of being overlooked at international level was something he uh, he found quite difficult to accept. But he, the fact remains, he's had a he's had a very good career. You know, he started out with Emmen, uh, I think it's about eleven seasons ago now, and then went on, went on to Heracles and and really shone at Heerenveen, and then got that move to. Um, Got that move to Wolfsburg, and um, now he's playing for one of the biggest clubs in Portugal, and it's um, he's, he, he can be very pleased with how his career's gone. Yeah, do you think they could probably nick second or third spot? Because I'm looking at the table and doing my research earlier. Um, Porto are running away with it; they're five points clear of Benfica in second. But like the gap between Benfica, Braga, and Sporting is just only a couple of points. Mm-hmm. And it's just three points, and um, Sporting play Porto at the weekend, and the goalers. Yeah. Um, do you think they could probably get top two? Maybe be that third spot off Braga. My first response to that, Scott, would be: it depends who Benfica appoint as their new manager. Yes, because I know they went after Mourinho. Yeah, but I, Mourinho I, I think I think yeah, but that needs to be commended. Mm. That move needs to be commended. I know that Mourinho had a. Um, had a ill-fated stint at Benfica, but from my point of view, um, for him to build his reputation back up and to finish off unfinished business, that is the ideal job for him, and I do not understand for the life of me why he's turned it down. Because I don't think the Portuguese national team job is coming uh, is becoming available anytime soon. Uh, I thought that Benfica showing their ambition to try to hire him was tremendous. I think that's that kind of ambition is long overdue. I mean, I watched Benfica play Ajax back in uh, October and you associate Benfica with um, attractive, passionate football and they were far, far too conservative and far, far too defensive. So I think that Sporting Club de Portugal, I think they have a chance, but I think it all depends on who Benfica appoint as their new manager. Um, I just hope that uh, Marcel Kaiser can um, can have a, a real good end to the season and then be given a full pre-season to carry on his work. You know, he's very meticulous in terms of giving the youth an opportunity. And when you hear him speak as well, he's so honest and he's so refreshingly honest and he doesn't beat around the bush and he doesn't try to overcomplicate things. I saw Sporting Lisbon when they played Arsenal back in November, which was a nil-nil draw, which wasn't the greatest game you'll ever see. But they do have some very good players. I thought Jeremy Mathieu, who has uh, um, his experience at Barcelona, and Nani, of course, and um, Basdost. And there are Freddie Montero, the Colombian striker, who I think is slightly underrated. But there's there's definitely um, opportunity for um, for Kaiser to continue for good work. And um, yeah, I think it's um, I think it'd be very very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be. Into, I'm just looking at their fixes and who they got next. Uh, so they got Morinanch, um Pretoria, Setubal, and then they got Benfica in the um, in the derby. When is the derby? It's the third third uh, of February. Oh, very interesting. Sunday. Okay, okay. I should yeah. keep. I should try to look at that because I think it's. Uh, I think it's one of the best derbies. We'll have to, maybe we'll have yeah. to maybe we'll have to discuss that. I know we started off on our pod discussing derbies and we've. Um, switched our attention to other clubs and rightly so but I think we might have to put something in our diary to discuss that match because um, I, I think, think, think that would be very interesting I think we can pencil that in for yeah. the pod on the uh, on the week commencing the 4th of February yeah I think so yeah I think so it should be very very interesting are there, are there any other final points you would like to make as regards to um, as regards to Sporting Club de Portugal? 
Um, I've just seen they've got another Dutch striker with a bit of a, a previous pass and Luke, Luke is it Castanios? Oh, I can never pronounce his surname. Castanios. Uh, Castanios, yeah. Castanios. Um, what do you think of him? Um, could he get like a, a good partnership out of um, Bastos? Mm. I know you, as you follow the Dutch, uh, living in Amsterdam and like, you follow the Dutch Eredivisie. Well, um, I think when it comes to Castanios, I think he had um, many, many big things at a far too young age. He started out at Feyenoord and made a very good impression and then signed for Inter Milan. Yeah, it was it Mourinho's Inter? Uh, I believe it was. And um, then, you know, I remember seeing an interview when he signed for Inter saying, you've got to take your opportunities. And I fully, I fully concur. But I think within a year later, he was back in the Netherlands playing for Twente, FC Twente. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's a prime example of what happens to a player, however promising, uh, what happens when your move abroad comes far, far too quick and in this case, to a far, far too big a club. He has, he has since, um, I don't want to say redeemed, because I think that's a bit unfair. I think, um, I think he has found some form. I mean, he's gone on to play for Eintracht Frankfurt, and also, um, obviously, at Sporting, was loaned to, uh, to Vitesse, where he, uh, he, he didn't make such a bad impression. But uh, he's never been capped by his country. He's only represented the Netherlands at youth level. And he's still only 26 years old, and it feels like he's been around for ages. But I mean, if you think it, if you think it was 10 years ago since he first broke through at final when he was very, very young, and there was extremely big things predicted for him, and I think the move to Inter just became irresistible. But I don't think he fully understood at the time what that move entailed. Not, I'm not saying that he wasn't intelligent enough to understand, but normally when very, very young players, you know this yourself through covering Italian football, uh, players that don't f- that find themselves out of favour are um, are entertained with the notion of a loan move to another Italian club, maybe in a, a, division, a division below, or like a blind auction as to whether they're going to take you on or whether you stay there. And I don't think the ins and outs were fully explained to him Hence why I think he only made a, a handful of appearances for Inter. I think he only scored once, I think, if my memory serves me rightly. And, um, yeah, but obviously now he, he seems uh, settled at Sporting. But, again, he doesn't start for Sporting. Um, I don't think he came on in the game that I watched live. I think he's very much, um, I think he's very much on the bench. And uh, also, as well, going back to the point about Inter, when he broke through and made such a tremendous impression at Feyenoord, he was linked to... Everybody, you know, Bayern Munich, uh, Real Madrid, Liverpool were also linked with him. And it just goes to show how quickly things can change in football. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, for him to still be 26, his career is far from over. And uh, I just think that um, I think he's found himself now in a position where he's he's on the payroll of a very, very big club. So he can be pleased with that. But um, I think it will take another move for him to play regularly again. Yeah, I was just um, just seeing that it wasn't um, it wasn't Mourinho's inter, it was actually Gasparini's inter, oh, okay. which and his his spell only lasted a few games. That's when Inter had a very basket case season where it, it didn't go well off the pitch or on the pitch. No, well, uh, as I say, I mean, I think he can be sp- uh, grateful for small mercies to now be uh, involved with Sporting uh, Club de Portugal, and um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see 
how he improves in the future. As I say, you know, for him to still be 26 when he broke through almost uh, 10 years ago now, it just goes to show how quickly time flies. They've also got uh, Marcus Acuna, um, who's a player I actually quite like. Um, a couple of years ago, um, Argentinian football was on uh, YouTube, so I used to find myself on a Saturday night or Friday night watching some some racing games on YouTube, and it was actually um, it was actually brilliant to watch because you could stream it off your laptop or stream it off, off your TV or your PlayStation onto your TV, and it, it was really good. And he's a really good player. Um, he was part of the Racing squad that won the league title. Um, a couple of years ago and he's a, a player that I actually quite like and it's good to see that he's doing pretty good at, uh, at sporting yeah uh, he was he was a, he played in the match I watched live against Arsenal last November and he was one of the uh, the bright lights of that game for um, for sporting club uh, de Bruyne also uh, mature as well he had some he looked like a very very um, steely defender I mean he got sent off right the last knock-ins but uh, he was he was definitely um, a bit of rough and tumble in that back line. And uh, I also think, I know we mentioned Senef with the Europa League, but I also think Sporting will get the better of BDL. I think BDL with their league form, I don't think yeah, they'll be looking too much into into Europe. So, But I think Sporting, I think they've definitely got something about them. It'll be interesting to see how they get on in Europe this this season in the, when the last 32 of the Europa League commences. We yeah, are now... Cause, oh, oh, sorry, because no, Villarreal lost at the weekend due to a very bad penalty miss. Yeah, was that at home to Getafe? Yeah, two uh, one. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, the guy, the guy took it. My mind goes blank. It will come to me later. It was a very horrible penalty. And I agree. I think Sporting will get the better of Villarreal. <laughs> Villarreal have been very poor this season in, the, in La Liga. Yeah, they've, they've got to be careful. They might, they might even go down. I think it was. Uh... I don't know how many seasons ago it was now. It might have been, I think, six to eight seasons ago where they went yeah. where they went down by one goal. Where in the injury time they were still in La Liga, and at the end of stoppage time they were right. out of La Liga. And yeah. if they're not if they're not careful, be they they will suffer the same fate. I mean, Huesca, for example, who had a tremendous result a couple of weeks ago, winning uh, winning against Betis, Huesca. I think they'll get relegated in Spain, but BDL have to be very, very careful indeed, in my opinion. We are now going to finish our, um, with our third subject tonight, talking about Coppa Italia, because looking at the results of the round of 16, it sets up for some very, very tasty quarterfinals. Would you like, as our Italian football expert, Scott, to, um, to let the listeners know what they can expect in the quarterfinals of the Coppa Italia? Uh, four very good games. Um, there's hardly any shocks in there and, uh, over the weekend action. Um, so Lazio defeating Navarra 4-1. Lazio were 4-0 up at half-time. Um, goals from uh, Ciro Mobile, Luis Alberto and Serge Malinkovic-Savic. Um, Umberto Useppi gave... Uh, Navarro footing in the game with a, a second half penalty but Lazio were just convincing winners evidently that was the only game not to be shown on British TV because uh, it was on the Saturday uh, blackout which uh, which uh, the game kicked off at 2 o'clock UK time 3pm Italian time and like, the blackout here in the UK is 2.45 to 5.15 so that was missed on by British viewers that, that actually uh, BT Sports picked up the rights for the uh, Coppa Italia and they'll be showing the uh, Italian Super Cup tomorrow evening between Juventus and Milan in uh, in Saudi Arabia so um, 
AC Milan needed extra time to get past um, Sampdoria. Um, two excellent, I mean, two excellent goals from uh, Patrick Cotrone. Um His first one, oh, excellent cross from um, from Andrea Conti. He's just come back from injury. And um, Cotrone, uh left footed half volley, and then his second goal. Was, uh, early in the second uh, extra time in the second half gave Milan the, uh, actually a very much needed win because Cattuso a couple of weeks actually a good couple of weeks is like jobs on his line and also it was quite interesting that Gonzalo Higuain has come out and said he wants to wants to leave and wants to go to Chelsea mm. so that, that was interesting comments uh, Juventus had a routine 2-0 win over Bologna goal from um, Bernadeschi and Moise Keane who got a, a good run out Fiorentina needed two late goals to beat Torino um, a favourite of mine and probably a favourite of most Italian football followers is Federico Chiesa got both um, you know his dad Enrico Chiesa yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> and his, um, his, his younger brother is also a bit of a ball boy as well at Fiorentina um, Inter Milan put six past Benevento in a very convincing 6-2 home win in a, a very empty Santero due to the uh, due to the problems after the Napoli game Um Napoli uh, defeated Sassuolo 2-0 Arcadius Milik and Fabian Ruiz with the goals Sassuolo did have a Manuel Locatelli goal harshly chalked off for a handball it went to VAR it was very harsh it, it hit him like on the, sh- the shoulder part of that area so if you see him like try and control it like like you see players control it it was given for that and then uh, yesterday's game Atalanta left it late with two 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 late goals against uh, Cagliari Divan Zapatero and Marco Paslic with the goals and then Roma um, put four past a very very sturdy Virtue Santella side Virtue Santella put Genoa out in the previous round of penalties um, they're in Serie C um, they've only lost two league games all season but they've got like five games in hand um, Patrick Schick opened the scoring after 20 seconds uh, Virtus and Taylor gave Roma a, a good game in the first half. Robin Olsen had to pull off some, some very good saves. Um, Ivan Marcano scored right before half-time, which pretty much put the game to bed. Patrick Chick added a third um, early in the second half. And then the shepherd, Al Flacco, Javier Pastore added a fourth. Um, to be honest, Roma had plenty of chances in the second half to really stamp their authority on the game. But... Um, they were quite way form. Patrick Schick missed a couple of um, chances. Uh, he could have got a hat trick. He missed two two glorious chances. But yeah, four 0 convincing win in the end. But nothing against Virtus Santana who gave Roma a game in the first half. Yeah, it's a strange name for a club, Virtus Santana. Does that mean anything in Italian? Um, I don't know much about them. I'm afraid. I know Antonio Cassano. Um, signed for them not so long ago probably oh. last year and then had a week's training and then called it a day okay. uh, they got relegated in a, in a in a playoff last season if my memory serves me right I said on the commentary yesterday but then three teams were declared bankrupt and they tried to try and get their way back into Serie B but they've been playing all season in Serie C um, and they've got like five games left in hand so they've only lost two two all season but they looked a good side yesterday they held their own for 45 minutes against Roma mm. but but the, the legs and then Roma's class showed 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 them showed them in the second half well it sets up for some mouthful in quarterfinals you've got Milan, Napoli Inter, Lazio Fiorentina, Roma and Juventus, Atalanta um, sorry to put you on the spot but who's going to win it? 
question. I would love uh, anyone but Juventus, but you know, no jokes. I do think Juventus will win it. Um, they got Atalanta in the home tie. But uh, I would love someone like Napoli or Roma to go for it. Roma haven't won it since 2008. Napoli haven't won it since 2012. Um, someone has to break the Juventus domestic duopoly. Hmm. In my eyes, they're probably the two main candidates, but I can't see no further than Juventus. They're strong. They've been strong in um, Serie A. They've been strong in Europe. And, and I think they'll be a bit too strong for Atalanta in two weeks. Yeah, would they not be distracted by potential Champions League matches? I, as a club in that size, I don't think they will. Um, I can. They want to win the Champions League. Yeah. But they've got a they've got a really really tough game against Atletico. I mean, I thought that match up Atletico Madrid Juve. I was expecting that to be a semi final or final, and yeah. and that is a last sixteen tie. And I think whoever wins that match has got has got yeah well has got a fantastic chance, a huge chance. I mean I mean of all the last sixteen matches, that is the one I want to sit down and watch. Um, I agree because I think it'll be a defensive yeah. masterclass between yeah. both sides. Yeah. Diego Godin and Chiellini will relish the chances to play against yeah. a Ronaldo, Mandzukic, Diego Costa, Griezmann, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah, I know. I fully but, agree. I think it'll be. I think it'll be a tremendous match. But I, I wonder if Atletico will. I think it would take a lot of energy out of um, Juve, and if they do dispatch of Atalanta, then maybe a, a Roma in the semi-finals or Fiorentina. And you never know with the first leg and second leg how how that all overlaps. So uh, yeah, I mean I, I mean I think you mentioned Roma. I think didn't they lose to Lazio in the Coppa Italia final? I think it was yeah twenty thirteen was it? And they yeah, lost, and they lost to them in the semi final. Yeah. Twenty seven no twenty sixteen twenty seven twenty seventeen yeah 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 it was twenty seventeen they lost the first leg two nil won the second leg three two it's weird is that the first leg of the semi finals are played in March yeah and then the second leg of the semi finals are played like five weeks later in April yeah very very interesting so anything could happen between those in those weeks I'm gonna go a bit rogue and I'm gonna say that Lazio will win it. That's that's not a bad show. I think um, I spoke to whilst we're on the subject of um, Italian football, I spoke to Empoli's Danish defender uh, Jakob Rasmussen this evening, and we spoke about Serie A and about the strikers that he's faced. And um, I can't reveal too much, but one of the people we did speak about was Chido Immobile, and um, you can read all about that interview when it's uh, when it's published. I think on World Football Index in about. Maybe two weeks' time, I think. A very good striker. He's in his prime at the moment yeah. in Serie A. Um, he's bounced, he bounced around a couple of clubs after leaving um, Torino, and I think he's found the perfect home for him. And he, he's, he, I know he takes a lot of chances, but he's a very gifted finisher. Yeah, is he not one of those players that just doesn't really fit outside of Italy? Just put him, uh, yeah, put him, he, put him anywhere with substance inside Italy, and he'll do a job. Go to Dortmund in the Ruhr Valley, and and not really fair. have your home comforts and those kind of things, and be a bit a fish out of water. And um, yeah, I'd think I think Lazio is a good fit for him as well, actually. Yeah, he's got some good players to play around him. He's got um, SMS, Serge Malinkovic, Savage, Luis Alberto. Uh, he's got, uh, 
whacking Carey's just come on loan from Seville, and then he's got a, yeah, he's just got a very good squad with him. He's a very good striker, and on the national side, he hasn't really done it that much. He gets criticised with Bellotti, but uh, club side for for Lazio and Torino, he's been brilliant. But has he has he received enough of a chance at, at international level? Yeah, uh, I think he has. Oh, okay. uh, he. he he goes in and out of games. It's like under um, under the coach we talked a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, um, they played like a four-two-four and a three-five-two. So him and Bellotti were up top in, in like big games, and he just sort of went missing in them. Um, and but his club form is a lot different to his international form. Okay, very interesting. Scott, would you like to uh, pass on your Twitter handle to listeners who may like to get in touch and pick your brains about Italian football and uh, and that kind of thing? Yeah, um, it's at Scott and Scott Monroe. We did actually have a question, and it was actually from our WhatsApp group, the Man on the Post WhatsApp group. It was actually from Chris. Chris yes, Hatchino. yes, and he asked us to give a special mention to uh, a certain player, didn't he? Yeah, Naki Williams. Yeah. Um, he scored um, two brilliant goals against Seville, and he he, t- he tagged us in the in the WhatsApp group and to have a look out for the second goal, which I am, where um, it was like the dying embers of the game against Seville. Um, ball on the halfway line, turned his defender and absolutely done him for speed, round the keeper and into into the empty net. Mm. And he's a guy that's come into form as a new coach. Yeah, well he's. For me, when I think of him, I think about he's only 24 years old and he's already a club legend at one club. Now that that is a bit of a that is a bit of history, you know, because many players that are a club legend are maybe in their uh coming up to their mid 30s and he's played so many games for Bilbao since breaking through and he's always appears to be important with goals and assists. And uh, yeah, to be viewed as a club le- legend at the age of twenty-four is very impressive indeed. Um, actually, a very good stat came out of that. That was his first home goals for I think it was about two and a bit years. Okay. Uh, of his last fifteen, he scored for Bilbao. Mm-hmm. They've all come away from home. Mm. Well, as I say, I think um, I think that um, you know he always appears to be important with assists and those kind of things. So. Uh, yeah, very, very impressive. But we was asked by our colleague Chris to uh, to mention him in the pod, so uh, we thought we'd drop him in at the last knockings. Uh, listeners can get a hold of me on Twitter at JamesRowNL. Uh, just seen on the news that uh, the Brexit, um, the May's Brexit deal has been rejected. So I'd like to thank Benevolence for sending me a letter to let me know that everything is fine for me here and that I can continue to live my life in this country after 13 years. I know it's a little bit off topic and then we're a football podcast, but uh, obviously uh, listeners know my history. And uh, But don't worry, listeners, I'll still be in Amsterdam uh, in the future, so not to worry. Um, we would like to finally pass you in the direction of the Man on the Post um, podcast network featuring the likes of Unusual Efforts and Man on the Post Extra Time. Please do check it out and give everybody... Uh, a listen because we have a lot of people a lot of talented people on there that can um, that can tell you many many different things thanks again for list- for joining us listeners and we look forward to speaking to you again next time and finally always remember to keep your man on the post <laughs>